welcome to the GNT Show. everybody welcome to episode five of the gnt show i am joined by our regular co-host the man that puts dog in doggies jimmy g how are you going t how are you this week good 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 i can tell you've been busy at work today i've only heard from you 15 times today so clearly you had a lot going on today at work now First of all, a shout out to our friends and listeners in Melbourne. They're in hard lockdown and our thoughts and prayers are with them. But to to stay safe, listen to the guidance and and really get through the next six weeks and get on top of this issue. A couple of people from work, Timmy, down there in Melbourne, um, really struggling so far. They feel quite trapped and a little bit scared. So hopefully things improve in the next couple of weeks. We'll start this week off with a review of round 12 uh, before previewing round 13. But first, off the top... Uh, an apology from last week's podcast. We were discussing our favourite Indigenous players and we mentioned Mal Meninga. Of course, Mal Meninga is a South Sea Islander, uh, not necessarily of Indigenous descent. So if we offended anyone, our sincere apologies around that. Nevertheless, he was an amazing player to watch. It also gives me another avenue to quickly discuss some of the other Indigenous players that make rugby league so exciting and really make you dream as a kid. Um, we forgot to mention Scott Gale, who was brilliant fantastic to watch innovative his chip and chase speed for the tigers what dreams did scott gale give you wanting to chip and chase the whole schoolyard when it got to school remember with the plastic footballs that would hurt your foot if you kicked it at the wrong point rod silver david peachy two amazing fullbacks andrew walker the silky smooth 5'8 and fullback and of course famous amos roberts um, people that make rugby league such an exciting game Okay, so let's start off with the first game of round 12, which was, I thought, a cracking game between the Dragons and the Rabbitohs. The Rabbitohs, of course, got up. I thought the Dragons started on fire in this game. I thought they were, they were going really, really well. Um, I thought this game would be close, cause I, but the way they came back and Cody Walker was just sensational. Uh, on, on on that game, what did what did you what was your takeouts from that game? When Cody Walker's there, they are a different team. He can step passes. He's got great vision, and he chances his arm as well. I think he was great. Matt Dufty was incredible. He literally was the Matt Dufty show for the first, you know, twenty minutes of the game. It was Matt Dufty sixteen South Neil. His two tries, his his passing to Ewan Aiken, his backing up. He's transformed that dragon side. We did speak about this last week, but I felt like Alex Johnson moving back to the wing would be a massive move for Souths. And I thought his game, not just the hat-trick, but just the timing of his intercepts, he's, he created the other try for Latrell Mitchell. He really made the difference. There were a few tries where the Dragons' defence, I thought, was really poor. They really should have won that game. Matt Dufty in attack gives the Dragons another dimension. Some of his decision-making can be off. That pass he threw for Alex Johnson's first intercept. Uh, I think there are people who are currently in the International Space Station that could see that that wasn't on. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was really, really, a really, really bad pass. But I think he's a net, as we mentioned last week, I think he's a net positive. For all those bits of, you know, inconsistency you get from Matt Dufty, he, they are a different team when he's in the, in the side. The, the other point I'll make is, I think Cameron McInnes is the best hooker at the club. I think you've got to play... I think the coaches feel like they've got to play Ben Hunt because they're paying him so much money. And I think the person that ultimately gets squeezed out there is Corey Norman. We've seen during the week that there's there's swaps about... Well, he's been dropped. Well, he's been dropped this week and they're, they're talking about swapping him with Gareth Widdop. This This seems like it's got Shane Flanagan all over it. Experienced players to, to win games. That's how he built his premiership winning side at Cronulla. I just don't think... I think Adam Clune's the halfback, the long-term halfback. I think they need an organising halfback. And maybe you play Ben Hunt on the other side of the ruck. He doesn't give you the magic that Corey Norman does, but by the same token, I don't think the administrators can admit they've made a mistake after paying someone a million bucks a year. They can't, but I think the Dragons are playing a lot better than they, they were before. They're a lot more dangerous. Dufty adds to their team. It'll be interesting to see how they go this week with Ben Hunt and Adam Clune. But I thought they, they were pretty good. I thought they really should have won that game. And I think Souths were lucky to get away with it. And the Dragons were a bit sloppy in defence, which cost them the game. So, you know, um, it, it happens, but um, they can make the yeah, they can make the eight. You think the Dragons can make the eight? They've won four games all year. Well, they've won four and lost a couple very, very close games against Cronulla and South. So, 
Yeah, this is their run-in. They've got the Roosters this week. Now, I think they'll give the Roosters a decent match. They're, they always match up well against the Roosters based on the Anzac Day game. The Eels, the Broncos, the Titans, they've got the Cowboys. So there's three winnable games there. Then they've got the Raiders and the Knights and the Storm. I'll scrap my um, top eight prediction. That the run's probably a little bit too difficult, but they're, they're playing a lot better. The, the next game on the weekend was the West Tigers versus Warriors. Uh, the Warriors ended up getting up. This was at the SCG. It was oh, You know, I'm actually getting used to seeing footy on the SCG again. It's a bit of a funny orientation, isn't it, when you watch it compared to some of the other grounds because the angle and the oval shape feel. I thought this was a tough game. Really, really tough game. I thought the Warriors have really put up a fight. Todd Payton's doing a great job. They were down at halftime. Um, Madge kicked the chair. I'm not sure how much of it was deliberate and how much was accidental, but it was clear that they, they really got into the Warrior, to the West Tigers' heads. I think Todd Payton's done a pretty good job with the Warriors. It's interesting he knocked back the full-time gig. That's something I want to speak to. I read some of his comments about they need a coach that's going to teach them the game. There's a lot of players that don't understand the context of the game and when to, I guess, up the tempo and play attacking football, when to be conservative. I found that a very interesting comment from their current coach. It's probably an honest comment. But I do note that the final score of 26-20 was four tries apiece. And the main difference was the goal kicking of Cody Nikarima. So for those of you that missed last week's pod, <laughs> Cody Nikarima was in G's Men of League calendar sitting behind him. He was missed, He was Mr. March, wasn't he? I'll have to sort out the order. We might have to do that in a couple of weeks' time when I build up a catalogue of 12. When we're struggling for content in the off-season, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do a pod on... I thought the Warriors were good, Half man. their teams in New Zealand. They're, they're losing players. They're doing well. I think they're doing well. They've got some para, you know, reserve graders. George Jennings and, and Daniel Alvaro, who, who can't break into the para side. I, I think they make a difference. The other thing I'll say is my point's more, less about the Warriors and more about the Tigers. The point around the Tigers is they're really dirty at Ivan Cleary, the West Tigers. It's too many seasons now where the Tigers lose to the teams they're expected to beat and are really competitive against the teams that they're expected to lose to. And that's not a skills thing. That's a mentality issue. And by dropping some of these players that were previously untouchable, Madge is saying if you don't perform, you're not in the team. He's got a hard edge to him. He can burn them out. He can burn them out, but I think he might be what they need. But going back to this point around they're angry at Ivan Cleary. I actually think Ivan Cleary, because they're three highest paid payers, if you're if you're to listen to the Daily Telegraph, are Moses by Russell Packer, and Josh Reynolds in no particular order. The Daily Telegraph's been very accurate with some of the um, salaries in the past, especially when sort of addressing the Roosters' salary cap at times. The sombrero. There's the, but we've spoken about the Roosters. Other other teams' fans go, how do they get all those players into the club? You and I have spoken about this in the past. They 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 are they run their list much better than the other clubs do. Oh, they do. They recruit these players before they're first graders or just on the verge of getting to first grade or just become first graders. And they bring them through in their first three or four years. It's almost like an NBA rookie contract. Their first three or four years, they're probably getting paid unders. And then they try and sell them on, you know, you're, you're part of a winning culture. And then what they're really good at is letting the players, like, like, a, like a pop in for the Spurs, letting them go when they're past their prime, just over the hill. Like like Dylan Napa, they, they they do they do manage the list well. They they manage their list really really well. Back to my point around Ivan Cleary. I think I think Ivan Cleary needed to attract players to that club. He needed to pay overs to get some names there. Now they might not be the the the, the right names, but I also think the way Ivan Cleary wanted to play football is very different to the way Madge wants to play football. And those three players would do better in an Ivan Cleary system than a Madge Maguire system. So. It's they're overpaid where Madge is the coach. They're not necessarily... Sure, they're still probably getting paid overs in an Ivan Cleary team, but I think sometimes two years down the track, you forget about the context under which some of these players often get recruited. You know, people can, I guess, rag on Josh Reynolds all they want, but I look at someone like Reynolds, and if he was playing 5-8 for the Panthers at the moment, I don't know if it would make that much of a difference to their results. I think he'd be quite effective in the way they, they are playing football. I, my opinion on Josh Reynolds is he's in danger of wasting his talent. He brings a lot of energy. He's he's like a jack in the box. He, he needs unstructured football, and and the rules at the moment suits unstructured football. 
but he just needs a run of games and he needs to not be in the press and he needs to, you know, he just needs to find a bit of consistency. The Tigers, some of their defence was quite ordinary for some of the, the Warriors' tries. There were a couple of times they really should have stopped Hiku, even though he scored a great try in the corner. And Caden Lawton running from dummy half past four or five guys quite easily. I still think they should have won that game, but they seem to switch on and off at times, like you say. And again, I saw some marvellous skill from Adam Dewey here. The pass he gave to North Luma was brilliant. I just think he'd look so much better as the 5'8". Oh, I agree. Anyway, the Broncos, they have forgotten how to win. Speaking of a team that should have won the game, 15 or 20 minutes to go, this is why they need a halfback. Like, it's the same thing as the Dogs when you were up against the Dragons a few weeks ago with, a, with an organising halfback that kicks to the corners, pins teams down. You don't lose that game. They are a team down on confidence. They shouldn't have lost it. They ended up con- still conceding 36 points. Defensively, as I mentioned last week, it's not their ability to score points. Defensively, there are some real problems in this team. Um, Katoni Staggs made an amazing difference to this game. And of course, he's gone on to uh, some controversy during the week. What, what am I going to say about this? He's got the he's got the greatest Dirk Dinkler moustache. Yeah, he's got he's got the seventies porn moustache. But it's one of these things where the NRL in the past, I think, has just acted on stuff like this willy nilly, to be honest, and suspended people without really looking at the context. So, and it smacks of people releasing things because they know there's going to be consequences. It doesn't sound like he's done anything wrong, which is great, and I'm glad that the NRL is waiting to see the context of this and how it's come about before they take any action. So regardless of media attention, it looks like they're actually treating this in the right way before they make a decision. Nothing's going to come of it. I think it's great that he's playing, and I look forward to watching this weekend. He's a fabulous player. 26-18 with 10 minutes to go. They should have won that game. They should have iced that game. Again, it's the confidence. They've forgotten how to win. But it's the, it's the, the I think it's still the youth, confidence. They're not the youngest team in the comp. I know you keep saying about their youth, but they're not the youngest team in the comp. They're they're the third or fourth youngest team in the comp. Let's have a look at the ladder. If you offered the Bulldogs that forward pack, they'd they'd kill for that forward pack, right? And they wouldn't be sitting at the bottom of the ladder, the Bulldogs, if they had that forward pack. If they had Payne, Haas, David Fafita, these types of players. I I, I really think they're underperforming. They're they're getting the scrutiny they should be getting. Possibly. I, I think that showed their down on confidence. They've got some talent. They're blooding players. They are getting better. Like you say, the defense can be a bit shoddy at times. I mean, to let in 18 points in the last 10 minutes when you're eight ahead, you know, their heads drop a little bit. The Sharks, you know, some of the tries they scored were fantastic. Although one thing I did note was Mulatalo right at the beginning scoring a try. This is the curse of the modern-day winger, explosive over 15 meters and then literally getting run down by a prop from 10 metres behind, chasing him down, and he really should have got him. The Sharks keep on winning. Rocks and diamonds, I, I don't know what you get with the with the Sharks. I really don't. I found it a good game to watch, maybe because it was so open. It was a great I game. I thought Milford played pretty well. I really did. He sort of stepped it up a little bit. And unfortunately, that's probably the best game he's played in a while, and now he's done his hamstring and, and he's out injured. for a month. So that's not a good thing for Anthony Milford and his confidence and for the Broncos either. Herbie Farnworth, very good again. Yeah, very good player. We like him. We like Herbie. Gee, I just want to share a stat with you. This is just goes back to our point of you only watching one half of, of course. the game. I lo- look at all the Indigenous players I love. They're all the Preston Campbells and players that are stepping everybody. No one who can tackle. Tackling's irrelevant. <laughs> now, gee, the, the Bronx have had 373 points scored against them this season in 12 games. That's a touch over... 31 points a game. That's quite high. It is quite high. You need to be scoring six tries a game, on average, to, to give yourself a chance to win. I take your point, but Brisbane, keep on trying to score those six tries, and I'll keep on tuning in and watching an exciting game every week. Thank you. I know we didn't say too much about the Sharks, but we covered them quite in depth <laughs> last week. They're rocks and diamonds. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, the next game was Saturday, and this was a great game. There were, there were, there were some good games during the night or Super Saturday, as they like to call it. The game that probably promised the most delivered the least, in my opinion, and that's the Sea Eagles versus the Panthers. But but let's start with the Roosters versus the Titans. Am I wrong in thinking that the Titans perhaps should have got the chocolates in this game? Yeah, I think they should have got the Hague's chocolate. But yes, I was watching that game. I think the Roosters just won because they're more used to winning. The Roosters are lacking something at the moment. They look better when Joey Manu's involved, don't they? Like we said last week. 
his try when he caught the ball off the bomb and then won them the game. I think he scored that try between three or four Titans. He really shouldn't have scored. I think the Titans should have won the game. I think they were better. They were defensively quite solid. The Roosters, uh, I don't know, are they bored? I could be, could be. Two, two, three years in a row, they make the grand final. They're expect they're at the top of the table again. Do they really care whether they they come first or fourth as long as they get a second chance? They are blooding a lot of kids this year as well. They've got a few injuries. So is it is it the same desperation? Are they kind of playing it at 80% of capacity rather than 100% every week? I think there's an element of pacing themselves. But, but the other thing I will say is I'm not sure Kyle Flanagan's that great in defense. Now, he makes a lot of tackles, but he misses a lot too. Defense? What's defense? Does he step players? Does he score tries? That's all that matters. I mean, for those of you that listen to American podcasts, this is the equivalent of... G is Bill Simmons and I'm Zach Lowe in our in our rugby league analysis. So I put a lot more credence in defence and G's absolutely the eye test, the absolute eye test. I think when you've got a lot of injuries like the Roosters do, you know, if you can't put experienced or, or solid people around Kyle Flanagan, you know, Boyd Corden has been in and out, Victor Radley's injured, uh, Verrills is out. What opposition is really good at at the moment is isolating some of their weaker tacklers some of their smaller bodies like the jake friends like the kyle flanagans i i do agree though there's a bit of lack of fluidity to their football at the moment particularly in an attacking sense which is why i think they as they did on the weekend they've got to get joey manu involved i think he's the he's the x factor you know and, and luke kiri is a great player and 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 i love luke kiri i think he's he's fantastic i like him because he's an attacking player if he sees something he goes for it and i really like that about him he's aggressive i'm guessing you're not Liking him because of his defense, G. <laughs> he attacks the defense. It's a lot better to watch. And and on the Titans, I thought Jay Arrow it was great, and I think he's playing really, really well for them at the moment. I think um, they're building building something there. I can see them turning the corner, the Titans. They are a couple of good signings as well. What I do like about Brimson is he's the only Alex that uses Alexander. Very formal. That's hard-hitting analysis there, G. Thank you. So if we... Analysis. If, if we if we... Very observant, if you ask me. Uh, guys, I want you to know that G actually took notes on that joke and he ran it in his head a lot before he played it out. Next week, we'll be apologizing for that reference when we find out his name's actually Stephen. So moving on to the Cowboys versus the Raiders. This was another tight game. The Raiders got the win in the end, but the Cowboys were good. What did you think of this game? I did watch it. Well, that's a good start. That's a great start. You've got to watch some of this stuff, you know. I know the stadium is a really nice backdrop in Townsville. That took some of my attention. Did you, did you, did you actually watch any of the football? Did you, did you? I did. The one thing I did notice, and I have told you this before, but Jason Tamalolo, I like the fact that he's starting to be used on the fringes and not as a battering ram up the front. I think the Cowboys have really wasted him for a couple of years. Expecting him to run as a battering ram. Yes, his meters are great and his stats look fantastic. But when you've got someone trying to bust through five tackles, it sort of dulled his impact a little bit, even though he would gain tough meters. He was a little bit more dangerous and it threatened the Raiders' defense a fair bit. But I thought the Raiders, again, professional. For me, it's Papali and and Whiten carrying them through at the moment. They're, They're doing enough to win. But I wouldn't say watching them in the same way I watch the Panthers and think, oh, wow, this is incredible the way they are playing. But they're doing the job. It's like a business-like approach. Intense, I agree with that. fast. I think John Bateman made a difference as well. I think he'll, he'll be important for them in the run-in. I just want to read out Tamalolo's stats for you. I know, I know you're, not a, you're an eye test guy. But 66 minutes, one try, 24 hit-ups, 26 attacking runs, 241 metres, 114 post-contact meters that means after his first contact when they hit him four tackle busts one line break two offloads 38 tackles zero missed tackles all of that with one error i mean just incredible just an incredible game from jason Tamalolo. and and that million bucks a year they're paying him it looks like it looks like good value at the moment it's just for me, I think when they start to get him a little bit wider, he creates havoc in attack. So he has an impact, but it's a, it's a far more dangerous impact. He's not just there grinding meters out through the middle. And what do you think of his defensive technique? He's very agile and hits hard. Can we move on, thanks? That's my hard-hitting analysis. <laughs> if, we, if we move along to the next game, uh, the Sea Eagles versus the Panthers, 
And what people are really coming here to hear about is your thoughts on stadiums. What do you think of Lotto Land? It needs a revamp. It needs a revamp. I, lo- I love Brookvale Oval. It's actually really good to watch the football. But I was going to say exactly the same thing. It is a great ground to watch footy on. It really it is. It is, but it's old. It's it's like Cumberland Oval. It's like three stadiums ago, Parramatta. It is. Seagulls fans, if you heard the reference to Cumberland Oval, some of you older fans, burn it down so you can get a new stadium. It worked for Para. So uh, this game was a bit of a dud for me. The Panthers just killed them. Too good. Too good. Too good. At no point did I think Manly's going to get up here. I didn't think at all that Manly were going to win the game because having watched the Panthers since, I guess, the restart, they've been top class every just about every week, but they're getting better. It's actually kind of scary. They were too good. There was no fight in Manly. The other thing is the Panthers are in a soft part of their draw at the moment. We we did have a discussion about their draw and that has been soft. But what I think it's done with Penrith for some of their younger, exciting players and they're belting these teams and their confidence is absolutely sky high. The whole team looks fit. James Tamau, that's the leanest I've seen him in years. He's devastating at the moment. Isaiah Yo, he's passing, running to the line. And Charlie Staines, how good is he? Great player. He's exciting, he's fast, he's skillful. And the whole team's like that. I will say, Nathan Cleary is in the form of his life. He is playing out of his skin at the moment. He's, he was a red-hot chance at the Dally M's. He may still win it, even though he's been docked six points from the NRL. Over the TikTok video, I mean, really... Come on, NRL, get your stuff together. He did it silly. I mean, dock him six points. Just have these random penalties. That's what I love about the NRL. No, nothing nothing makes sense. Uh, let's move along to Sunday's games. Uh, the clash of your team versus my team. I said to you last week, I thought this would be closer than people think. I could see, as someone is a para fan and watches them week in, week out, I saw, I've, I've seen some signs against the Tigers, against the Seagulls when we lost and I don't think they've been playing at their best the last few weeks. I, having said that, I also think in the second half we took our foot off the accelerator but defended our asses off for the last 20 minutes. In, in the end, I think the Dogs should, probably should have won the game. I'm surprised it was so close. It was 18-0 relatively quickly. You could see that Parramatta just had a little bit too much class. The thing is with Parramatta, this could be their year. But the one thing that concerns me about the Eels is one of their strengths, but also one of their weaknesses, is they do have a cockiness and an arrogance to them. Talent-wise, the Eels are better, I think, than the Roosters, player for player. I really do. But that game against Canterbury was a perfect example. When they get ahead and things become a little bit easy, they can switch off and become a little bit cocky. Having said that, Canterbury should have won that game. In attack, problem has been there for three or four years. They're just not good enough. The Eels defended stoutly. They were tough, but really they had nothing thrown at them, to be quite honest. Probably one of the highlights of the season for the Bulldogs fans is Jake Avarillo. What I loved about his try, bar the incredible athleticism, and how about the switch of hands in midair? How about that? It was his awareness to actually go around, almost like a runaround, and then create a bit of space on the edge. A lot of players would have just stayed inside and waited for their winger to get hit, and you don't see that that often. He's a real talent. Anyway, I mean, a, t- a better performance again, but the Eels seem to be winning these games this year, but they've got to be careful, I think. It's hard to switch on and off. Once that becomes a habit, it's something you generally carry into the finals as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I will say this. You had four restarts compared to our one. When you look at the NRL stats, Parramatta's play of the ball was about 25 to 30% slower than the Doggies' play of the ball. I, I think the referee had a hand in how close that game was on the weekend. There's always an element of that. Certain referees, you know, favour certain teams in terms of the style of play. But I, I do also think that it was a little bit too easy to get to 18-0 for the Eels at the beginning of the game. Junior Paulo. Junior Paulo. What a, what a prop. The dude is just an offload machine. Yeah, but he offloads in an attacking sense. He just just throw the ball for no reason, if that makes sense. You know, it's kind of more of a selective offload to put the defence in a bit of trouble. I was a big fan of Tim Laffer when he first came into first grade. Um, 18-year-old kid thrown thrown into first grade and performing admirably He well. was a re- your original Mr. February. Yeah, I don't see what he added. I don't understand what that pickup was about because he's lost a lot of pace. You know, he was in full flight and he got run down by the Parramatta Reserve grader, Andrew Davey. They, they, they bulked him up. 
They're, they're better under Steve George Arles. Kieran Foran. Kieran Foran. As a doggy supporter, what do you think they should do with Kieran Foran? What did you think of his game on the weekend? It's a hard question, actually, because he's broken down to some extent. He's such a tough player to his own detriment. Like He will run hard at the line and take some big hits. It's good to see him back playing football. He did go through a lot. I don't know whether he stands out because our team is so poor or whether he's actually a very good player. I think there's elements of where he's very good. And he might be a lot more dangerous when the team is a lot more dangerous around him. But I think as your sole attacker, I think he shows flashes, but he's generally ineffective. And I think he's the only thing we've got at the moment, which makes him stand out. Do you re-sign him? There's some element of me that says no from a football perspective. And apparently there's some interest from other teams. But if he's behind the scenes, a fantastic presence and a mentor to some of the younger kids... There might be a reason why he'd sign him. But would I sign him for 800k again? Absolutely not. Players around that could give you more bang for your buck as well as a half. I think you need a spine. I really do. I, look, Kieran Foran first signed for the Dogs. You and I had a chat. And he was the wrong player for when he signed there. And, and why was he the wrong player? Because Kieran Foran is a runner. And what you needed, what you needed was a tricky ball player, someone with a bit of creativity at the line, Someone you know who's a bit more rocks and diamonds, maybe a, maybe a, a, a lighter weight player, like and I mean that physically. Someone who's a bit lighter on their feet. Kieran Foran's a hard runner, a hole runner, but he's he's someone who threatens the line through his running, not through his ball playing. And 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 you don't have that ball playing type of player there. And I think he needs that. I think he does. I think he worked well with Cherry Evans when he was there. And you remember before that, but he had Matt Orford. Even a switched off, he was too good. Too good. All right, and the last game of round 12 was, of course, the Storm versus the Knights. Gee, I like watching Ryan Pappenhausen play. One of my favourite players. I, can we can we comment about how, I think it was Andrew Voss commentating. I might, I might have that wrong. But when Cam Smith went off, it was a career-ending knee injury. And then the Storm tweeted out, it's an AC shoulder. He'll be out two weeks, don't worry. <laughs> Last time I checked, the knee on the human body is a bit far away from the shoulder on the opposite side. It's, 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 he's out for the, this. Could be the end of his career. Uh, he'll be back in two weeks as a precautionary better measure. He hurt his shoulder. I love Voss, Andrew Voss. I think he makes the game exciting. So may as well make injuries exciting as well. Why not? I mean, Cam Smith's try... <laughs> The battery, you could see the batteries draining from a 37 year old Cam Smith. It was like the closer he got to the light, it was like the, it was like the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> the, 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 the battery was draining as he got closer and closer to the light. Isn't it interesting though that Cam Smith is that good? He just looks like your standard guy that's not too big or too muscular or too fast. And the incredible influence he has over a football game, it's mind blowing. He is one of the smartest players and he's got an instinct for it. And the reason he's so tactically good is his dad was a footy coach and he grew up talking about footy and what position you need to be in, when you need to go blindside and when you've got to go open side. So he's been around that. He grew up around the dinner table talking about that. So you reckon his dad selectively sat him on different parts of the table when like the roast came out or the vegetables, we had to receive it. <laughs> You're a strange, strange human sometimes. But the point I'm trying to make is I think it's all on instinct. I think if you asked him, why do you do it that way? I don't think he'd be able to explain it. The other thing about Cam Smith that occurred to me on the weekend is he's a bit like an old school footballer. He's a bit like Terry Lamb and Cliff Lyons. Not in the way he plays, but he's just a footy player. He's not a he's not an athlete. or And so he knows how to take a tackle. He knows how to put his body in the right position to preserve himself. He knows when to inject himself. And I think it's that type of player that has longevity. Yeah, I think I might have been watching Peter Sterling talk about this. And someone asked Terry Lamb, what makes you so good at backing up? Or like he said, he just said, I just keep running. That was his explanation. And he, on the face of things, it makes no sense. But it makes all the sense in the world at the same time. And just going. It's just an instinct to keep alive, keep running. And I think you're right. Cam Smith is a similar type of player in that he keeps on going and he just adjusts to whatever's happening in the game. He's very niggly. I respect his um, niggliness in the tackles. Can I also say, Billy Slater, dirtiest <laughs> player to play in the last 20 years. Can I also put that out there? Everyone loves him. Mate, that bloke was the most niggly player. <laughs> anyway, great... 
Greatest fullback I ever saw, but my God, what a niggly player. I do think Brett Stewart is a lot closer to him than people realise. That's my controversial opinion. It's hard to compare him against Billy Slater that played 40 tests and 30 origins. And remember the double kick try and all that, like Billy Slater all time. He, he could be the all-time best fullback. He's in the debate. I don't think he is. And I think it's a little bit of recency bias, but he was very niggly, Billy Slater. He had the odd brain snap, but he played with energy and intensity every week. Can I also say, I think I, I, love, I love watching Cam Munster play. He's a very much an old school football player. He is an old school. That's exactly what I was going to say. So I reckon if anyone's going to have longevity in this game, it's going to be Cam Munster because he is an old school footy player. He's, he's a, kind of a 5'8 version of Cameron Smith, right? Where he doesn't look overly athletic like some of these other guys. He's kind of a little bit herky-jerky in the way he plays. But God, he's always making breaks. He puts the right pass at the right time. He reads the game. He's... He creates. He's very dangerous with the ball in hand. He's just. He just knows what to do. He's. He's very effective. I would love to hear Craig Bellamy and Cameron Munster's tactical discussion. Just bleep and run the bleep and ball, and and Cam's like, yeah, 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 and do whatever I want. I, I just love to be part of the here. We fly the ball. I guess pre smartphones, when you had to look at the Gregories to find out where you were going, Craig Bellamy would be. You'd have to be on grid G H. And Cam will be like, yep, sure, no problem. <laughs> he'd be somewhere else. He'd be, he'd, be, he'd be on the next page, you know, where Map are joining on page yeah, 156. Yeah. He'd be like that. <laughs> oh, my God. There is no one who's going to understand our references. <laughs> All right. Movie. <laughs> I'm your age, and I still don't understand the roast one that you mentioned earlier. So, Well, you knows. did say that. His dad probably taught him where to stand and said, did he do around the dinner table? So I said, what? So when the roast comes out, you have to be on chair number seven. This is how you receive your food. It's not any better second time around. I got I got feedback for you. I got feedback for you. It's, it's a, but try it again. Why don't you try it a bit later again on the show and see how it goes the third time? I will. Do it again. Can you leave the comedy to me? Okay. Um, but Pappenheisen, um, yeah. fantastic player. No, no, we're on to round 13. So, G, round 13. First game is the Dragons versus Roosters. This was meant to be played on Anzac Day. Just goes to show what a year we're having, that, that the Anzac Day game's being played on the 6th of August. My view on this game is the Roosters have been a bit flat of late. They're a bit out of sorts. I think the Dragons are always up for this game. I think this game will be quite close. I think the Dragons are in with a shout. What are your thoughts on this game? I actually think the Dragons are going to win this game. They've really improved. I'm not quite sure about the dropping of Corey Norman. I think Adam Clune coming back does make a big difference. Dufty will have another fantastic game. I think he's been pretty much the best player in the whole of the NRL in the last six to eight weeks. I, f- I do f- find it very interesting in regards to the halves that Kyle Flanagan's been dropped. Whenever you watch Lachlan Lamb, he's a very... And he threatens the line, and he's a little bit lighter on his feet, and he's a bit more dangerous. And the Roosters look threatening when he's there. Flanagan sort of plays the, you know, controlling the game role, but I think the Roosters have gone flat, and I think Trent Robinson's looking for that spark, so he's promoted Lachlan Lamb to the starting side. Do you think it's an attacking decision? Absolutely, yes. I I disagree. Kyle Flanagan missed four tackles last weekend. He's a liability there. The other teams are isolating them on defence. They're they're running their big boppers at him one-on-one. And and it's hard, right? He's 90 kilos or 80 kilos or whatever he is, and he's got someone who's 120, 130 kilos running at him, and he's expected to stop them. I, I, you still hear whispers in the press around unrest at the Dragons. It really is. I, I keep looking at that Dragons team on paper and going, they should be doing better than what they are. With McGregor, I think it took him a long time to sort of just say, okay, I'm going to let these guys play. But I think that cost him a really bad start to the season. And I think that's cost them at least two or three wins. You add those and the season looks a little better. We both agree that'll be a close game. So moving along to the Sea Eagles versus the Warriors, what are your thoughts on this one on Friday night? And, and, and more importantly, what parts of Lotto Land should be upgraded? Pretty much everything. I mean, the hill's, gr- the hill's great. I don't even mind the grandstand, to be honest with you. I love watching footy at Brookie. I, li- I like it. There's something to be said for that nostalgia and the closeness to the game. All right. Move. Yes, what, one thing I do like about the Warriors this week is I like the, mo- the move of Chanel <laughs> Tavita Harris. Is that his name? It's Chanel Harris Tavita. That guy that came into the Warriors team, I can't remember his name. He's good. He's really good. 
He's the he's the guy. You know that guy that plays. You know what? You're you're better. You're better when you don't do research. <laughs> I really do. I think you're better when you don't do research. Naturally talented. I'm Andrew 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 Walker. <laughs> Andrew Walker was amazing. Great player. And we, and we missed him last week as well. He was another name we missed last week. I note that Blake Green's actually gone to the Knights. I think it's a good move. For who? For the Knights or the Warriors? I think for the Warriors, they need to kind of move on a little bit. There's only eight games to go. <laughs> what are you moving on to? They're not going to make the eight. You never know. They might come 10th. <laughs> but I like the fact that Chanel harris Tavita's coming to the team. Oh, it's good you got his name right. One of my favourite pairings now with Cody Nikarima. They're a very skillful duo. And he's young. You know what? Why not give him a go? And I think winning last week will give them a little confidence boost. I'm tipping Manly, mainly because I think Cherry Evans, Marty Tapao, Danny Levi, I like the look of their pack. It'll be interesting to see how the Warriors go after Todd Payton's comments that he knocked down, knocked back the full, full-time coach role because that could either be a galvanising thing for the players or, or they could go... Even the coach doesn't believe in us. I actually think they could get this game. I will say this as well. One thing I've been meaning to say for a little while. Peter Hiku, very niggly player. Very, very niggly player. Very skillful player. I would say Peter Hiku hasn't really kicked on to be what he looked like he may be when he first came through the ranks at Manly. I think he's a liability in defence. The reading of the attack, when to come in and when to stay out, when to push up, when to slide out, when to hold your position, I think he gets that wrong a lot. Did he come through as a fullback at Manly? The the centre is such an important position in terms of reading the defence now because of the way the teams attack. It can be very difficult. But I also think Peter Hiku hasn't been in the best shape for a couple of years. So it does impact his effectiveness. Well, they, they don't have anyone else to play the role. You know, they're, they're running out of cattle. The, the other thing I will say is that the the, the rumour this week has been that the Warriors next season will have to spend 10 months of the year in Australia, that they'll be based out of Australia for all of next season. Incredible sacrifice we're asking these players to make. And I don't think they can do that without their families. So we need to think about how we honour the Warriors as a sport, as people who love their footy and love their rugby league. Because whilst they might not win a premiership, whilst they might not make the eight, the sacrifice they've made to keep the game going should be recognised in some way. I want to get your thoughts on this one, how teams assess coaches. There seems to be coaches that get chance after chance and coaches that seem to have one chance, maybe don't hold relationships as well and never seem to get another go. I found it very interesting. And I'm not behind the scenes, so I don't know how good Todd Payton is. But I don't understand how Jeff Tuvey applying for the job didn't get it. His record at Manly was excellent until he kind of had a fight with the rest of the club. But the team played good football and Manly were very good whilst he was coaching. And I would have taken a chance on the Walker brothers. Why not? New Zealand's been in the doldrums for a little while. Why not give them a go? Something different. I was listening to the NRL economist and he was saying, in order to win, you need to not do what everyone else is doing. You need to do something different times watching the game now i see teams playing the same type of football except some teams do it with more speed and more clinical execution than others i think this year's had a bit more unpredictability but you weren't going to beat melbourne and the roosters playing block plays so you need to do something different that for me speaks to the walker brothers getting a shot particularly at somewhere like the warriors where you haven't had success in such a long time you made two grand finals didn't win either of them what, what's, what is there to lose if- and if you're not playing in front of crowds and you're in australia this is the time ideally, that you, you might experiment with the Walker brothers. Now, Jeff Toovey is an interesting one. I actually agree with you, and I, and I hate doing that, as you know, but... Occasionally it happens. I, I wonder how much of Jeff Toovey's... You know, he goes beetroot red when he gets angry. He wears his, wears his heart and his on his skin's sleeve. very fair, so when he goes beetroot red, it's quite obvious. More in-depth analysis like that will be provided later. <laughs> and... and oh, you... So I wonder how much of his demeanour affects him now. And, and the other thing I think that counts against Jeff Tooby is manly through and through. So will he be able to replicate that success? Having said that, I think Jeff Tooby deserves a shot. But he's combustible. And this is what I meant by coaches that don't necessarily work on maintaining these friendly networks, I guess. Because I look at Barrett. I'm liking the way the Panthers are playing. My thing is I wonder how much influence he actually has on that, right? that he might change things. But he got another chance after a quite ordinary winning percentage with Manly, whereas Tuvi had a fantastic record at Manly and hasn't gotten another shot anywhere. 
And the Walker brothers, I don't know if it's they beat to their own drum. I don't know what it is, but they're not exactly the media darlings. And they never seem to get a shot, even though their record's been fantastic and they've been somewhat innovative for Ipswich. And another coach who was like this, and he sadly passed away, was Steve Folkes. If you look at his record and the amount of star players he brought through from youngsters through to solid first graders, it's actually remarkable. And he really struggled to get another shot as well. But he was very prickly to the press. So I wonder how much of that with him to the... My opinion is that they, they're just so connected to that club. Steve Folkes is Canterbury through and through. Je- Jeff Toovey is Manly through and through. If you're sitting there in the Warriors, you're going, do I want to replicate Manly? No, I want to go get the person who's learnt under Craig Bellamy, the person who's learnt under Trent Robinson. This is why Jason Riles and, and Craig Fitzgibbon and these guys keep getting thrown up. Now, in, in answer to your question around Trent Barrett, Trent Barrett's got age on his side. Very young. Trent Barrett could be a long-term coach. So it, I guess it's what you're looking for. I don't think Jeff Toovey would be the ideal coach for a rebuild horses for courses and so i think there's a few different factors there that play into coach selection and those types of things i think you need to be very clear what stage your club's at is your premiership window open and therefore do you need a desi hasler to come in get all these great players in and get you over the line or are you at a stage hey we got no money we need to bring youngsters through we're six years away and we need to rebuild the junior base, do you go get a Nathan Brown in? They're different things. You, you wouldn't recruit Desi Hasler to rebuild a club with juniors from the from the ground up. I think that's true. Context yeah, even, matters even, in terms of what you're looking for, where you see a club. Are you a contender or you're ready to go to that next level? Or, you know, you've been in the doldrums for quite a few years and you kind of need to regenerate the squad. And, and then you might need a coach that's more of a teacher and a mentor development type of coach. That's right. All right, let's move on to the second game on Friday night, which is the Rabbitohs versus the Broncos. Anthony Seabold versus Wayne Bennett. The Broncos were unlucky last week. David Fafita's back this week. And the Rabbitohs got over the line against the Dragons last week as well. Rather than asking you who you think's going to win this game, my question to you is, how can the Broncos win this game? Might have to talk about defence, T. That's not my forte. Got to keep the attacking mentality because they do have some really exciting players that can create a lot of danger. They've got Stags, Herbie Farnworth. I, I like the move of Herbie Farnworth into the centres. I, I thought that was a good move. Get his hands on the ball a little bit more. I think Darius Boyd has given them a little bit more solidity at the back. And I, I hate seeing this when I'm watching a game. As I'm, I'm a little bit more of a keep on the offensive fan in that I like the teams to keep on attacking. Really? No one, no one would have ever gathered that listening to you. Keep the attacking football up. But if they do get ahead, he's probably, you know, do some of the boring stuff like get into touch, slow the game down a little bit. And I think that that's how they can win the game. Souths, again, Alex Johnson, Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker, I can't see them losing. I go the other way. So this is where I'm channeling my energy. I go the other way. If I'm the Broncos, if I'm Anthony Seabold, we can't stop. We leak like a sieve. We can't stop anything. So I think you go out and you go... I need seven tries. I'd love to see that. I'll be tuned in. They're conceding, on average, 31 points a game. Football, soccer is the sport I grew up with and, and, and my number one sport. It's it's like the Brazilian teams, the old Brazilian teams, and probably not post. 86? Yeah, 86 was probably the last Samba team. Well, their attitude was, if you score three, we'll score four. If you score five, we'll score six. And I think the Broncos need to almost have that sort of attitude. I think them trying to grind out a result, they, just, they can't keep... The opposition from scoring. They're not going to win a game 8-6. Oh, no chance. I don't think so. They were winning against the Sharks and still conceded 36 points. I, I think you go out there and you go, boys, we need to score 40. Instead of trying to close it out when you can't, go for another two tries and win 40 to 20. So I've convinced you. Surprisingly, yes. Excellent. Excellent. When you're conceding 31 points a game, you don't turn that around in a week. You need an off-season. You need to look at your defensive structures you need to look at all that sort of stuff. You need to work on people's decision-making. You don't get an opportunity to do that with three, four, five-day turnarounds, right? You can't turn that around quickly enough. So I look at it and I go, there's eight games to go. We're going to concede points. When that's your strength, go for it. Why not? You've got nothing to lose anyway. Okay, let's move on to Saturday, which is um, the Storm versus the Bulldogs. You're a doggy supporter. How many points start do you think the Storm should get in this game? I think Nico Hines filling in for Ryan Pappenheisen will keep the game somewhat close. It's 13 and a half on Sportsbet. 
I think it'll be within 10. My worry is really Adokar and Munster. I think Eisenhuth and Justin Olam, whilst really solid and good players, they don't kind of necessarily strike fear in me as a fan. Can I can I put something controversial there, which you might disagree with? If Justin Olam was on the Canterbury side, he'd be your best centre. Very true. Moving on. <laughs> Damn it. I just, I it's look, like... I look, I... Jesus, we're falling a long way. He actually would be our best centre. They've got size. They've got athleticism. They've got experience. They've got they've got a bit of everything. You know, hard workers, explosive players, tall players, and then they've got the two giants, Nelson and Tino, on the bench that are athletic. And our bench lacks impact. We've got JMK, Jeremy Marshall King, Aidan Tolman, one of my favourite players that does all the nitty gritty stuff. He's a good player. I, I like I like Aidan Tolman. And Remus Smith is on the bench, but we've got two backs. Do you know, I like the move of Ofahiki Ogden as a starting prop. He's got a lot of ability. He's very agile for his size, which is important. He can get down low and, you know, make bootlace tackles. He reminds me a little bit of a bigger Asatasi. I mean, we're solid, but we don't have the attacking class in the back line to really win the game. Nick Meany's looking a lot better at fullback week to week. Zelezniak, he's solid, good first grader, but he's not going to win you games. Cooper Johns on the bench. Excellent. Excellent. Have you worked out who he Apparently is? Apparently he's Matthew Johns' son. In the unpublished years, as we like to call it. I thought Cooper Johns was a fake name that he made up. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will note is Sandor Earl, the Storm. I like that. I felt he was harshly treated by the NRL at the time. I felt he was a little bit of a scapegoat for some of the issues around rugby league. And because he wasn't necessarily a name, it was kind of a little bit easy to suspend Sandor Earl. Great to see him back. Again, with our bench, I don't understand why our youngsters like Renoff Tuamanga and Chris Smith, young guys, that you want to see what they got, why they're not playing. We're not making the semis. We're coming last. Throw them in. I, I tell you why, because I think Steve Georgialis is auditioning for a senior coaching role somewhere. The Cowboys' job's opened up, and so has the Warriors' job. He's going to get at least 10 or 12 games in this year as a first-grade coach, and he knows he's not the coach next year. There's no point in him blooding the youngsters, because what he wants to show is, hey... As the first grade coach, I can get us playing a lot better than what Dean Pay had us playing and get us closer to winning. And then that uses, he uses that as a platform to get his next job as a head coach. When you put that lens on this, I'm looking at the team a little bit differently and his selections make a little bit more sense. And I'd probably bring up a junior half or a winger. All right, move. I can't disagree with that analysis, which is that's the second time on this podcast we've agreed. So the Knights versus the Tigers. For me, this is a battle of respect. I think Adam O'Brien said the the Knights players are a bit entitled, particularly the senior players, and the West Tigers losing to the Cowboys last week was, as we know, Madge tore strips off them. I think this game will be close. I think both teams will show up to play. I think it'll be a tough game. It'll be an old school tough game. I don't think the ball's going to be thrown around that much. I think it'll be a bit of an arm wrestle. It's all—it's not loser leaves town, but if one of these teams don't show up, I don't know what the rest of the season looks like for them. Loser leaves town is an old wrestling reference, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. It'd be it more appropriate indeed. for the Melbourne Storm, I think, if they lose the wrestle. Craig Bellamy will probably set banish them. Well, I was going to say Canterbury aren't even in town. A lot of changes in this game to both lineups. There is. You know, Kurt Mann to hooker. I think you'll be okay. Your man, Chad Randall, last week only made 20 tackles in 36 minutes. You know, so he was headed for 40, not 80. Get how much Shibasaki in the centres. I love that name. One of the best names in the NRL. How many tackles did he, he get? Got he got 20. He only played 36 minutes. He got 20 tackles in 36. Okay, what did I say? He could get 80 tackles. A little bit optimistic. Well, I just thought, I, I just I just thought that, you know, he's playing his second or third game that they were going to run a lot of traffic at him. I mean, I think it was a fair assumption. They just play to their own game plan, I think, Melbourne, a lot of the time. And they're so good at it that they don't necessarily play to some of the opposition strengths and weaknesses. Can I, can I ask you about the West Tigers? Moses Mbai at hooker. This must be like the, the fifth position he's playing for the Tigers he's on $815,000 a year at the moment he's getting paid over double what he's worth to that team it's, it's an interesting move he's, he's got a good bullet pass Moses and Bayer I'm not really sure how great his service is at a dummy half maybe Madge is looking at him to sort of scoot out a dummy half and get them on a bit of a roll on at times because he's still quite quick the rumour is Harry Grant's out for the season they've come out and denied that and said it's only a few weeks I would put Moses and Bai to fullback I'd put Dwayne to 5'8 and I'd actually probably move Luke Brooks to hooker I'm not really sure about Luke Brooks's defence but he's very quick and he's got a good pass Luke Brooks I like the look of Tommy Talao Willie Talao's son wow exactly 
he's got a little bit of something, a little bit of moxie. And the new signing, Asu Kepawa, from the Roosters, um, apparently comes pretty highly rated. Well, and Joey Leilua comes in just as Bradman Best has gone out. That would have been an amazing matchup between Bradman Best and Joey Leilua. Both teams have got their pluses and minuses. I think the Tigers will probably win, but I'm, I'm not really basing that on anything in particular. They just look a little bit more experienced in the back line, but the Knights do have Kalen Ponga. On the on the Knights, you did say that Adam O'Brien mentioned that some of them are entitled. There may be an element of that. I think there's a couple of plays in there that have always been, I guess, media darlings. But did anyone pick the Knights coming fourth or third? I mean, if they're seventh, then that's the problem. I mean, where else were they going to be this year? That's a it's a very very good point. They are where they should be, right? Like in a good season, they were going to come seventh. They're, they're probably playing to their potential. I think that's that's a fair point. The expectations on them went up when they got that gutsy 14-all draw with the Panthers. Yeah, okay, one game and all of a sudden it's like, wow, this team's great. Then they, Yeah, then they got on a bit of a roll. So the, the injuries have just curtailed their season. And I think they're doing okay. They're on the fringe of the eight or sneak into the eight is a good season for Newcastle. Well, I think the Bulldogs are outperforming their talent as well. Well, unfortunately, I think there was a hiatus in the New South Wales Cup, so we couldn't go down and there's no relegation and promotion for this year. They were mid-table in New South Wales Cup. <laughs> They're outperforming their talent level as well. Having said that, I, the guys always have a dig every week and they have done for three seasons. They always have a go. So as a fan, that's all you can ask for. They do have a go. And Olam, you're the best centre in your club. The Panthers versus Raiders. This is going to be an absolute cracker. I can't see the Panthers losing. The only way I think the Raiders can beat them on form they're more experienced. So if they use their experience to better manage the game and make it really hard for the Panthers to score and frustrate them, I could imagine the Raiders winning that way. But if this gets into an end-to-end type game, the Panthers, the way they're playing at the moment, they got strike power everywhere. It's it's a real test of the Panthers too. This is kind of the first informed team they're coming up against in their most recent fixtures. So... I'm really looking forward to see how they how they go and how they perform. They're pretty much at full strength. And the good thing is the Raiders are pretty much at full strength as well. So this is going to be... I can't call this one. I think the Panthers will be too good because I've been a little bit taken by some of their attacking talent. I see them as real contenders now. This is a great test and it'll be a good game. This is going to be a great game. This is a must-watch game. That brings us to the Sunday games and, of course, the match of the round. Gee, I would like to understand your thoughts on what is shaping up as could be the game of the season between the Titans and the Cowboys. Probably have it in the background whilst I'm waiting for the Sharks versus the Eels. I know you've done a lot of research on this game just because of what a cracker it's going to be. What is your research uncovered about the... If it's not not raining in Sydney, it's probably a good time to mow the lawn just before spring starts. Look, having said that, I might call um, Aaron Woods ask for his lawnmower. Michael Morgan's back for the Cowboys. I like the way Tal Malolo was used last week. I thought it did make a difference to the Cowboys. But I kind of really like the way the Titans have been playing against some of these good teams. And this is probably a team that's around about their level. I think they'll win. You're expecting the Titans to win? I'm not really sure about Michael Morgan. He was always a bit more of a running type of player. He doesn't quite have the same speed anymore. But are we judging Michael Morgan or Michael Morgan from 2016? He's only 29, I mean, which makes him only a third of the age of Cam Smith. Incredible, right? Cam Smith's 87, so... He has had a 5 o'clock shadow of Cam Smith since he was about 10 years old, I think. He's Cam Smith's boss baby, except if boss baby came out of the womb... At the age of 37, yeah. It's going to be a tight game, but I, I think the Titans are going to win. They've adjusted to a, a greater intensity against some of the good teams, and I think they'll be too good for the Cowboys as a result. Who was your pick? Oh, good question. I think it'll be a draw. The main game on the Sunday is the Sharks and the Eels. The final game. So I think the, the Eels have come off the boil a little bit, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, they got hyped by everyone except Parramatta supporters. I've got to be honest with you, because Parramatta supporters... We've had a lot of heart heartache over the years. Having said that, to not play well and win is a good sign. In, in previous years, we would have lost to the Dogs, but we managed to hang on. Our defence was solid. Our defence is really good, which is different to the past. I, I think Cronulla's played themselves into a little bit of form. I think this will be quite a close game. I will also say this. Wonga Blake 
he's been a great buy for us mainly because Pan- the Panthers are paying some of his salary, and he's been really, really good for us. But you must really like him because I think he provides more on the attacking side than he does on the defensive side. That is exactly right. Good footwork, you know, holds the ball out in one hand. He's he's kind of exciting to watch, but defensively, occasionally, he has a few lapses. I do watch it sometimes, the defensive side. And, and American dad Aaron Woods <laughs> is playing himself into a bit of form as, as well. He does. You know, he looks like a lumberjack. Yeah, he's Dan. All he needs is he's a proper <laughs> flano. And, uh, you know, do we give him a MAGA hat? Is he a Republican or a Democrat? Is it a MAGA does. hat? He does. He looks like it's a MAGA hat and he looks like a lumberjack. Okay. Absolutely. So... What was the, what was the, in the WWF, what was the two? What was the hillbillies? Do you remember the hillbillies? Hillbilly Jim. Uh, were they? Hillbilly Jim. Oh, actually, he's pretty close, but he had overalls and nothing on underneath. He's a, he's a bushwhacker. <laughs> no, oh, oh, make Cronulla great again. He's, um, he's, I actually think the Eels have hit, they've plateaued a little bit. Sterling said the same thing strangely this week. And I don't necessarily agree with him in that he thinks it's because they're struggling to get out of their own end. They're at that stage where they know they can turn it up a notch. And I've watched games where they up the tempo and all of a sudden teams can't keep up with them. And I think they're, again, a little bit cocky at times and a little bit arrogant. As a result, they can blow a little bit hot and cold at times. They're still winning, but I think they're going to lose. I think the Sharks, like you said, have played themselves back into form. I like the look of Moreland at 5'8", with Sean Johnson at halfback. And again, William Kennedy. I think the Sharks' back line will punish the Eels this week for being a little bit lethargic. And I think the Sharks will win. I don't think I, I think our defence is good. I'm not worried on that end. I actually, if I was Brad Arthur, I'd run at Matt Moylan all day. If he makes the tackles, he makes the tackles. But I'll, I'll force him to make some decisions as well. I think this is a game we've got to get in front early and get some momentum. Having said that, I do think there is a mid-season lull for most of the good teams. Particularly in this season where it's been so stop-start. You've got to time your run-in to the finals. It's going to be hot in the finals, so you need them to be tapering off in finals time. So it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of teams are doing the Wayne Bennett thing of putting run into them at the moment. Because they're not going to be able to do this when, when the weather starts to get warmer in October. So I do think there's an element of the Roosters, the Raiders, Para. They're all coming back to the pack a little bit. And I think the Panthers' enthusiasm and Melbourne's professionalism is keeping them going. And and Melbourne's probably getting energy from not living through the Melbourne winter at the moment. So I think there's a lot of peripheral things going on at the moment, given it's an unusual season. I think it'll be more like the baseball season from an American sports analogy. And what I mean by that is the team that catches fire just before the playoffs are often the team that goes on to win the World Series. And I think the team hits form at the right time given no crowds, given the unusual nature, given the hot weather they're going to be playing in, that, that'll go a long way to determining who wins. Interesting point you bring up, and I think that speaks to our assessment of the way that the, the competition is tiered. That top four or five, really, there's no one else that can touch them. I think those teams know that they're a lot better than some of these other teams as well, and I think it's quite obvious on the field at times. So I think mentally it's hard to be up every week. Any of those five teams, if they hit form at the end of the year, can win it. Melbourne, Canberra, the Roosters, Para, and Penrith. No one else is even close. I agree with that. That's my assessment. There's a top five, and then the results against the rest don't really matter. I, let, let's hope all five hit form. The good thing is Cronulla's got one of the best-looking guys in the NRL on the bench, Scott Sorensen. He's back. I guess make the squad a little bit better-looking. So a, a bonus two points for the Sharks this week. <laughs> we'll see. So we're, we're moving into the final segment now where G wanted an opportunity to tell his roast story again. Is this Cameron Smith sitting on the left-hand table <laughs> at a 35-degree angle waiting for the roast to come out of the oven because it's tactically the right place to be? His dad's the footy coach. Although it, w- it was great as a, as a football fan to watch Fulham and Brentford. Um, Fulham got promoted to the Premier League. I was hoping Brentford... I feel so sorry for Brentford. They needed two wins against the bottom half of the league table in the last two games. They just needed a point. They lost both of them. They, oh, I just feel so sorry for them. And it was a goalkeeping error. Like The keeper should have absolutely got that this morning, the first goal. 
Yeah, we, we, look, whether you believe in a higher power or not... It just wasn't meant to be. It just was not meant to be. It just... Everything just fell off. And then they got a little bit of momentum back in the playoffs, and then it just fell off again. And they're a tiny club. I think they beat Swansea, didn't they? Swansea, yeah. Yeah, they're a tiny club, so it would have been great to see them in the Premier League. You've mentioned to me before about the halves, and that you look back the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the amount of halves that would, were on a different level and that now you feel like there's a lot of decent halves, but there's no one that's really like, oh my God, Cleary might be headed that way. Cherry Evans at times has been. But Gary Schofield, an old 80s and 90s English rugby league legend. Great player, Gary Schofield. He called Adam Reynolds, Burt Reynolds. And, you know, he <laughs> a great call, actually. But his point was, he grew up with these Terry Lambs and the Steve Mortimers. He played against these guys, the Brett Kennys, the Wally Lewises, the Peter Sterlings, the Cliff Lyons, the Des Haslers. Even we mentioned Scott Gale earlier. Phil Blake. Was a, a magnificent half. Craig Coleman. Yeah, Andrew Johns. Daryl Trindle. Daryl Trindle was a magician, a bit crazy. You know, there were a lot of these amazingly skillful halves, and his point was they would take an opportunity. They would look at the game and read the game and go for things. Yeah, it's become very structured. It's because The game's become too structured. Because that resonated with me, because occasionally, you know, you go through on a nostalgic bent, you watch an old game, and it's amazing even watching Matthew Johns and Andrew Johns. If there was even a hint of an overlap you would see the ball just zing out 20, 30 metres, bang, 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 when they're playing for Newcastle. My, my view is the game wasn't as structured back then. And often you'll hear the media only talk about the attacking structure, as in the block plays and all that sort of stuff. But the defence has become very structured as well. You've got to remember the era Gary Schofield's talking about, the centres still used to play with each other. The centres would pass to each other, right? So the positions are almost irrelevant now. To be frank, the whole, this guy's a centre, this guy's not. They're, it's what number they're defending on which side of the field. Whether they're third man in from the left side or whether they're, you know. So it's not it's not like the old days where you've got this, the halves combining the, the, the half to the five-eighth to the centre to the winger. It's not like that anymore. So I think he's right insofar as the, the players were more instinctive back in the day. But I also think that's because the defences weren't as good. So I think it's a bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I think that there's no doubt the quality of player was, was better at thinking on their feet. Whereas now I think the coaches think for a lot of these players. I, I do agree with you, unfortunately. The defences are amazingly well-structured now. They're, they're machine-like. Well, And Warren Ryan started to bring that in. Pre, Pre-Warren Ryan, the defences were still very haphazard. But I do agree with him, and this is where you said where. They don't think on their feet now. And that's what he said. They don't have the balls, essentially, or the guts to try something different. If I really think about the last player as a halfback who was probably dominant that would try stuff, it's hard for me to really remember. You see elements of it this year. There's a little bit more of it sneaking in, like putting a chip. Oh, Mitchell Moses, I think, is a little bit like that. And I think that's why I really enjoy watching Mitchell Moses play. Benji Marshall. Benji, Early Benji Marshall. Sean Johnson, a bit more of a runner, but he you know, incredibly instinctive. I think Nick Reem is a bit like that, but in general... Of course he is, G. Of course he is. But Nick, Nick Reem is also the best front rower in the league, right? He could be if he was playing at prop, because it doesn't matter what number they play, right? <laughs> it's probably Brent Sherwin. The amount of times he chip and chase, you know, unstructured football, he'd play what he saw. The dogs really love Brent Sherwin. The people that don't support the dogs were never as high on Brent Sherwin as the doggies fans were. I also think he is probably one of the most underrated players in the last 20 years. Maybe, I don't. People talk about halves all the time. He was the main half for a team that basically dominated the league for four years. And I find it hard to believe that he doesn't get the credit that other players do. Well, I think he probably is underrated. But it's, he was very instinctive. You miss a little bit of that. So I think Schofield's right. And I think a lot of it now is programmed. So even when players see things, they're too scared to go for it. And it's a different context now. And there's a lot of other factors. Let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. Broken field running was a thing when we were growing up in rugby league, right? For those uninitiated, broken field running is where the defensive line is. It might be a kick, you know, an unexpected kick. The defensive line's all over the shop. It's a broken field. There is no such thing as broken field in modern rugby league. Even if there is a broken field, how many players actually pick up and attack the ball? They just fumble it again so they can have a scrum. 
the attitudes 15 or 20 years ago compared to now. Now they're happy to just have the scrum and play a structured game rather than attack off a drop ball where there's a broken field. It's really interesting. This is where the six again has helped because it's, and this is why I don't like the video ref. The, the stoppages mean people catch their breath. And, and what that resulted in over 20 years of these rules constantly slowing the game down and the wrestle creeping in is the players for each position got bigger and bigger and bigger where halfbacks are now playing at almost 90 kilos or just over 90 kilos, right? Someone like Mitchell, Mitchell Pierce is quite a big halfback. We forgot to mention quite a few other players. Ricky Stewart, Greg Alexander. Greg Alexander in the 80s was a big halfback in the 80s. Tall, tall halfback. And he could also play wing. He played for the Kangaroos on the wing. He played fullback. Greg Alexander made his debut in 84, won the Dally M as a rookie. 84, 85, yep. Went on, a, went on a kangaroo tour and led his team to the semis, the Panthers, the first time the Chocolate Soldiers 85. made the semifinals off the back of Greg Alexander. Have you, se- have you met Greg Alexander in real life? He's actually quite a small man. He was actually my favorite player growing up, Brandy. Like you're talking about weight-wise, he's tiny. But the new players are six foot two, six one, even the halfbacks. And they weigh, like you said, 90 kilos, 95 kilos. That would almost be a prop back in the day. That's right. That's exactly right. There are very systematic halves. There are a lot of Cooper Cronks around. But I also think there is a lot of latent skill that isn't allowed to flourish because the coaches are too scared to risk things because possession is at such a premium now and they don't allow the instinct of the players to come through is my take so gary schofield yes or no yeah i think from an attitudinal perspective there's less less forgiving of mistakes so complete your sets kick to the corner play the percentages that's kind of the mindset of modern day coaches that brings us to a close this week. So we've done quite a few topics this week and we'll be back next week. You'll see us popping up on a few different platforms over the coming week. Please subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, this is a passion project for us. We enjoy bringing it to you. All right, we'll catch you next week. See you later. See you, G.